through it. And uh, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would minister to us in what we need to hear, and that you would bless this word, that it would bring us encouragement and life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're reading from 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, um, we're actually probably going to talk about this same passage in a different way next week. Uh, particularly the Antichrist bits, okay? So, so just, uh, but well, I will talk about it, of course, some today, but in a more general sense next week we'll talk about that, okay? But what John is talking about here is, in essence, it's God's people and spiritual conflict. There's going to be spiritual conflict, which is talked about right throughout the New Testament. In fact, the, the reality is, as soon as you become a Christian, you actually enter into a battle with the powers of darkness. That's, that's how it is. Do you agree with that? Is a Christian life a battle? Yes. And, and he's talking about this in the last hour. And again, I'm going to talk more about that next week too. But the last hour is really referring to the time we live in right now. The end bit of the end bit. Okay? Towards the end of where we are. And there is, somewhere in this time, an Antichrist coming, a great figure. Antichrist means opposed to God, but it, but it carries a deeper meaning. The word anti carries a sort of a... It, it's a religious word, and Antichrist means one who puts himself to be worshipped in the place of Christ. He's not just against Christ, he puts himself in Christ's place to be worshipped. Okay? Uh, so he's saying, just as now many little, little Antichrists have come, small ones, that sort of in some way have the same nature of, and the same desires of the big one who's to come later, in, and that's what we'll talk about next week. <laughs> so you've got to come back next week. Yeah? <laughs> um, but he's talking about, he's, he, if you want to know what he's talking about, he's talking about people. He's not talking about demons and the devil. He's talking about people who put themselves to be worshipped as Christ and that one day uh, a great figure will come who will seek to be worshipped by the whole world in that same way. Okay, and so in one sense, Antichrists are a whole lot of people throughout history, aren't they? Uh, they have the same nature of, of wanting to be opposed to Jesus and worshipped as Jesus. Okay, so this week we're talking about the spiritual conflict the church is involved in, and it's something that is normal. It is part of life. In the past we would say the church was very big 
Would you say that? I'm not talking about just. I'm not talking about in St George. I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about people. You, where we used to come from, it could be the same here. I don't know. People used to talk about the glory days, the fifties and the sixties, where the churches were full. Where there were seven thousand people in the Sunday school. Oh, no, they but do you remember those people used to talk about those times and very large attendances. And really, church and a church attendance was the norm for the Western world, at least. Do you remember those times? Yeah? Now, the church was, I would say, seemingly strong. Definitely, the church was popular. But now, it's not the norm. The great majority of people don't attend church. That's true. In our communities here and, and elsewhere. It's not the biggest numbers. The church is not so popular anymore. In fact, now, if you are a politician or a comedian or anybody else and you speak against Jesus or the church, that doesn't cause you to lose votes or popularity, does it? In fact, that can make you more popular and definitely funny if you're a comedian. Okay? Instead of comedians now, they can only make jokes that are about white male evangelical Christians. Anything else is not up for it, so that's, ah, go for it, people. Make jokes. <laughs> okay. Okay. But what it causes in us is a whole lot of questions. Those people within the church, our faith is challenged by this, isn't it? And we might say, maybe the world around us is right. Are we those people who, this small group of old fuddy-duddies or strange people who say, look, we're right, everybody else is wrong. Now when I say we're right, if we mean the great majority of people in Australia are wrong and we're right, is that what we really are? Sure, we can't say that. Is that that's stretching. Do you, you understand the attack on our faith that we feel there? And so it's that thing which makes the thought in our head about turning away really, really difficult to deal with. When the going gets tough, it actually gets really tough. That's the reality. The tough, yeah, well, it's far easier to fall in line with the majority. Who aren't that bad, really, are they? Surely not. And so what we end up with is kind of a, just a pessimistic outlook of the church. Uh, is there even a future for the church? And so one thing that's done is that uh, denominations and groups say, well, let's get together and save the church. Firstly, we need to know the exact statistics. Got to get very statistical. Check out the numbers. Set a certain really exciting agenda, a program, and turn the ocean liner around. That's what the church is described as the domination ocean liner. Big term because it doesn't change very easy. Or maybe it's just the dinghy. Just got to row on one side. Okay. Now, what I want to say is this. First, John wrote this book roughly 1900 years ago. Maybe 1950 years ago. Somewhere around that time. About the same problem. The church then was a few small groups of people meeting in homes scattered across the what was a small part of the world at that time. It wasn't, there was no church buildings in those days, it was very small. 
Okay, I'm going to make four points. So you'll be able to count them. Point three is a short one, which you can be excited about. Okay, I'm going to make four points today. The first point is this. This is all to be expected. Dear children, this is the last hour. As you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. In other words, this shouldn't surprise you. You have been told about this. Okay, there's going to be a spiritual battle. When we face difficult situations in life, if we know they're coming, they're still difficult, but we actually have what we need to handle them. Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we have more, because you see, one of the hardest things to do in the difficult time, in that hard time, is to actually, well, look at the Bible and let the Bible interpret what we're going through. Unless we actually have a fair bit of knowledge that's there, so we go, ah, yes, this is what it was talking about. And what I'm saying is, John is saying, this is what it's talking about. This is what you're going to face. Okay? This is the, the thing. The, the, the Bible is actually full of warnings. So what we've got to learn to do, and what we've got to be as Christians, is people who let the Bible interpret our lives and not, uh, and not try and uh, let our troubles throw the Word of God into question. Otherwise, we end up with an instant despair or a panic because um, we're not sure what's going on. What I'm saying here is the Bible is full of warnings of the exact things that we're experiencing. It is never the view of the Bible that the church will grow and grow and be accepted by the world and increase in numbers and soon the whole world is just the church. That's actually not the view of the Bible. Do you understand that? We really hope for it, don't we? Except for we're told that that's not the way it is, so we shouldn't really, should we? That's not actually right. In fact, that's opposite to the Bible's teaching. If you read the New Testament, just or the book of Acts, particularly the letters, so the last bit, the books of the church, they tell us, the apostles tell us over and over again, the early church was a battle against a tricky, deceiving, strong enemy. And this enemy actually has one goal, to divide and destroy the people of God. The church, that is. Revelation 12, I know people struggle with Revelation, but if you read chapter 12, it, it, it has uh, the devil, who's a great dragon, who's a serpent, who's Satan, and he's got all his attention. He wants one, he's got one thing. He wants to kill the male son, who is Jesus. He wants to devour him. But that, that son is snatched up to heaven, he ascends, and then the devil goes right, and he turns all his attention to the people of God. That's who he wants to bring down. And those people, who are described as a woman, the bride of Christ actually, but they're not in that passage, but they are, that's the church that's taken care of by God in the desert, in that, in that picture. But the, 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 sort of, the picture's got the people taken care of by God, but the devil is spewing out evil against them and hatred. He hates them. He's hostile towards the church of God. And our battle, says Paul, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we're in a battle. Do you understand that? And so it's actually not 
a true teaching, or if I say it's not a true teaching, that means false teaching, that the church will always be improving and be accepted by the world, and particularly the thing that we aim for. I remember when I was first a pastor, where we used to live, I was I was looking for the community to respect me. Yeah, so I was looking basically for a false teaching because the church, the, sorry, the community won't respect the church. Okay, the church will be weak; it will be attacked, and it won't always get traction in the world around. That's actually a confirmation of Scripture. Okay, and the Revelation also tells us the devil's full of fury. He's really, really angry because his time is short. So, who does he pour out his anger against? The children of the one who has made his time short. Okay. Point one, spiritual battles would be expected. Point two, at a time like this, John makes it clear, and I want to uh, make this clear too, so I've, I've, Jody and I have been listening to, reading sermons by Martin Lloyd-Jones, and his sermons on 1 John have just been really, really helpful for us. And he makes a big point, and it's right, that the answer, John says at this time, is that we have pure doctrine of Jesus that we have a pure understanding of the gospel, that that's the most important thing. In other words, he doesn't say, look, do everything you can to get those people back. Uh, you may have to just loosen your doctrine a bit to get them back in. He's saying, stand firm with what you believe. Okay? Remember, remember that time in John 6? Jesus had literally thousands, 5,000 at one point, of people following him. And then he gave some hard teaching, and they all went away, except the 12 disciples. It's a bit of a failure, isn't it? But when the teaching, when the doctrine got so, so Jesus didn't then say to the disciples, look, just go and, go and just, Lighten things off a bit, maybe, you know, get a bit funky, get a bit cool, and get those people back, uh, you know, work with the culture a bit, speak bits of the truth, but not the, the bits that are causing them to run away. He didn't say that, did he? Because you see, the thing that they denied was that Jesus was the Christ. In John's time, in, John, in this book, when we read 1 John, it's really clear. They were denying Jesus. They were denying the Father. They were denying what Jesus had done on the cross. And so the problem that John's dealing with here is the same as the problem Jesus is dealing with, and they deal with it firstly by not being interested in numbers. Because if you want to increase numbers, I can tell you, there's a great program for it. You just need to dumb down the truth, make it a bit more palatable, and there's a good answer. Yep. I see that you're going to be confronting us, not at all, is it? <laughs> the New, New Testament calls us to stand firm in the truth and to keep false teaching out. To proclaim the Father, to proclaim the Son, 
praying the Spirit, as they truly are in Scripture. In, uh, and in many places today, the, around this world, the church is what people call underground. In other words, it's not prominent. It's not liked by the government. It's hated by the governments of many countries. It, it's what people call persecution. Because, and it, because they are teaching something which if they were to change a little bit and make it a little bit more palatable, then the government would be happy with them. True? Acceptance of the church by the world, acceptance by the world of the truth of Jesus, that, look, I'm going to say this, the world and the church will never be in bed together. It's not going to work like that. It's just not. And the thought that churches can get together and, and actually, well, look, we're all Christians here. Let's just, let's put aside our differences, you know, all that silly stuff about Jesus. Because we're all Christians. We're all spiritual, at least, aren't we? So let's just get together and be spiritual. Can you understand? Let's just unite as one. Unimportant to have doctrine, isn't it? Fellowship's everything. But what John is saying is no, doctrine is central. Because doctrine is who Jesus is. Doctrinal truth is of first importance. And that is why in John's time, the people left. They actually believed something different about Jesus. That's why there was a separation. It was an issue of truth. It wasn't because they weren't getting on. And John makes it really clear, as I say, read the whole book. Unity within a church, the church of Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about just a fellowship, can only be based on truth. The truth that Jesus was born as a man. The truth that Jesus died for the sins. That he died as a sacrifice in our place for the sins of the world. That he was raised from the dead. That the Holy Spirit came to bear witness to the Father and the Son. That Jesus is Lord. That's the basis for unity. You understand? There's no fellowship if there is no Unity in the basis of who Jesus is. Because really in the in the scripture, the concept of God's people right from the beginning is called a word which is it's not a it's it's called the remnant. The little bit left over. Not the huge. Do you understand? It's called this this, this little remnant that keeps travelling. But uh, hymns a lot of the old hymns used to talk about the faithful few. Standing strong against the enemy. Just read, uh, reading the words to onward Christian soldiers and songs like that. They they talk about one of them. One talks about unnumbered foes. There's so many enemies and the remnant. In two Timothy, Paul speaks about false teaching about Jesus. They they actually had a false understanding of the resurrection. He said this teaching has spread like gangrene, he says. Gangrene. Which is an interesting image, especially when Paul talks about the body of Christ. Because you know what gangrene does? You get it in one little bit, in the thumb, and then what does it do? It spreads to your hand. And then it spreads to your arm. And you know what they've got to do, don't you? The amputation. Uh, so, in other words, it causes death to limbs. And he says this, Nevertheless, 
This is 2 Timothy 2.19. God's solid foundation stands firm. There's teaching like gangrene, but this is not upsetting God's foundation. It, is, it stands firm. It's sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wicked, wickedness. 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 God's solid foundation stands firm. He knows who he is, who's at his. So point one was we should expect spiritual battles. Point two, doctrine, understanding of Jesus is central. And point three is the Lord knows who's at his, but they went out from us, which means that they were part of the church, which means who is the real church. Now, people have been saying for years things like, uh, they quote Keith Green, who said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. heard that said. Okay, it's actually true. It could be an eater of hamburgers if you go to McDonald's. But, okay. But it, it, it's obvious, not everybody who's part of the church is uh, Christian. And these people were part of the church in John's day. They claimed to be Christians but John says, the fact that they left us proved that they were never with us. They appeared to be with us, but they weren't. And if you talked about the church in Australia, it used to be large. Now it's smaller. It used to be culturally relevant. It was the social thing to do. It's not anymore. The church used to be, I, I remember you know, my dad saying, in the old days, everybody in the community went to church. But they went to the pub Saturday night. They, went, they all got drunk the night before, went to church, had their, had their gathering, and then went home, did what they liked, come back next week. You understand? It was the cultural thing to do when, when the church was large. But you see, the people were not on about the Lord Jesus. So, eventually, John tells us, they left. Although they were never truly with us, even though they were with us. That, that's what he's saying by that. I'll read verse 19 again. It says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Okay, so having your name on the membership roll in a particular church, does, that's not the book of life. As much as we'd like. Oh, except for this church, of course. <laughs> the book of life. Do you want to read it, anybody? <laughs> Okay. Uh, there's no such thing in, the, in God's church as nominal members. You know, nominal means by name. People say, you know, well, I associate with this church. I don't know. I don't actually go there, but I, I'm kind of whatever. It's, okay. Because the church is a, it's a family. It's not acquaintances. The church is a group of people where there's a union. They're bound together. They are one body. And they work together as members of a body. That's what Paul says. So, the church, that point three is quite simply, not all within the church, obviously, are Christian. Okay. Point four. There's a great future for the church. God has a plan for the church. When times are difficult, we have to remember that God is working in and through and with the church. Jesus is Lord of the church. He is dealing with, he is leading the church. That's the good news. Do you understand that? He loves his church. But 
some of what we go through is what John the Baptist describes in, in Matthew 3, verse, 9, uh, verse 12. He's talking about Jesus here. And he says, of Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. Now, sifting or threshing, you know how threshing does, does two things, doesn't it? It separates the chaff and deals with it in a header, it blows it out the back. In those days, they burnt it. Um, and it also exposes the good grain. It purifies the good grain. So the time of threshing is, well, threshing is not easy, you know what I mean? You know what a thresher does on a header, it puts it through a little gap at, it's almost at the point of crushing, but it just takes the skin off. It's actually a difficult thing, but you see, it's a time of hardship, but also a time of revival. It's a time where the central truths of the church are kept central, and they bring life. They're kept in the middle. So, behind this is the fact the church will remain do you know that? It will be there in the end. The church will stand firm, even in the hardship, because it belongs to the Father, Jesus, the Lord of the church. So the church was not going to end. Just be happy about that. Do you know that? Okay. Je Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me Given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I am the Father, I one. The church will survive. Why? Because God is holding them in his hand. He's got them safe. Oh, do you know what the next verse said there when Jesus said that? Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Okay? Nothing can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I am the Father, I one. So they wanted to kill him. He did face persecution, Jesus. Constant conflict between Jesus and those who are opposed to the truth. Same in John's time, same in our time. But the church is Christ's beloved bride and he is fiercely loyal to his bride and he knows who they are. And they will overcome. The church is glorious. The church will not be destroyed. I remember Mr. Shonfish, we were remember Mr. Shonfish, I remember standing in front of his place as he gave me another sermon and that was really good. And he said, you know, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Yeah? It, that's to thresh you. Satan wants to thresh you. And then Mr. Shonfish said, but you know what happens? He said, the threshing happens and all you can see is chaff. And then the wind of the Spirit comes blows away the chaff and there's the grain. But all you can see is the chaff. And he got excited as he was. See, the church will remain. The wind of the Spirit will blow the chaff away. The Lord will hold his church firm and the, the hard times are not the end of it. The church will not be destroyed. Because he said, Simon, Simon, I've, I've, asked, I've asked to sift you as wheat, but Jesus said, I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith will not fail. So here's Simon. He's actually about to uh, three times deny Jesus. 
right? I've prayed that your faith will not fail, and when you have turned back after that time, you will strengthen your brothers. Why did Simon, why did Simon stand firm? Jesus prayed for him. His, his prayer was answered. Can you hear what I'm saying? The church is a glorious body. It's the body of Christ. We've been glorified together with the same glory that Jesus had. We will have our struggles, they promised. We will battle. We should expect that. We must stand firm in the truth of Jesus Christ, who's our Lord and Saviour, and we will be there in the end. I've got two readings to finish with. and I'm sorry if they're a bit long, but um, the first is a prayer of Jesus. And it's where he prays in John 17 towards the end. In, in John 17, he prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then he prays for us. I'm picking out the us bit. He said this, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, that's the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that's us, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to, com- brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for, for me may be in them and that I may, be, may myself be in them. Can you see the unity here? The unity of the Father and the Son, the unity of the Father and the Son and the Church. As the Holy Spirit lives within the Church, there is this beautiful, wonderful, firm, solid unity that will cause the Church to last forever. Jesus prayed for the Church, and He prayed for the Church, and He prays. He stands at the right hand of the Father, interceding, that's praying, for the church. Now, Irish prayer is going to be answered. Yes. We'll know that. We'll see Peter in heaven. Because his faith remained because Jesus prayed for him. Okay. Because of his obedience, because of his righteousness, his prayers are answered. So the church is secure. It's not out of control and the church is not dying. Jesus is ruling over his beloved bride. Now, I want to finish by this. I've talked about the remnant, but it's a remnant across time, across places. A small remnant here, a small remnant there, a small remnant there, a small remnant there. But at the end of time, it's not a small remnant. It's called a multitude. Yep. So I'm reading from Revelation 7. And you should be excited about this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. That's Jesus. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
At that, all the angels were standing around, who were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. That's hardship, trial. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on, his, on the throne will spread His tent over them. They'll be included in His tent. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the future for those who are in tribulation. And it's a good one. And we look forward to it. We long for that day. Let's pray. Father, we want to give you thanks for the, the surety we have in your church. And Father, when we look at our lives, strength is not what we describe ourselves as having, but rather weakness. We haven't been a bold people. We haven't stood firm in your word. We've gone all over the place. But Father, we give you thanks that you have held us. And Father, we pray that you would give us boldness. Boldness to stand on your truth, in your truth, the truth of your Son, Jesus. And Father, may we be eager to stand firm in that truth and to proclaim your name. And Father, I pray that as we do so, you would bring more people into that great multitude who will gather at the end. I pray that you would keep us alert to false teachings. And I pray that you would bring a unity in your church to the glory of your name in Jesus Christ. Amen.